Hello and welcome to the Currency Exchange, where myself, Imre Daly, and NatWest team of FX strategists help to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets this week and in the weeks ahead. Today, I'm joined by our two co-heads of G10FX, Brian Dangerfield in the US and Paul Robson here in Europe. This week, we have had a round, a global round of US CPI prints, and they have certainly moved FX markets. Brian, I have to start with you. We have had a number of U.S. economic data surprises, and of course, the U.S. continues to surprise the upside, but the big one had to be core CPI, which really took markets by surprise. How does this kind of play into your overall view for the Federal Reserve? Do you think it changes things? Yeah, thanks very much for having me. And I mean, Emer, I think this is a game changer for the Fed. And you have to think about it from a narrative perspective, right, that really since the Fed kind of started this pivot towards a pause, and eventually, you know, in the direction of the next move being a cut in November, a lot of the inflation data have been pointing pretty similarly in the same direction towards lower inflation across a number of different measures, right? Not just on core CPI, but also things like labor market showing signs of being in better balance, wages on things like the wage price index, uh, uh, the quarterly the quarterly wage numbers coming in a little bit softer. Um, and we've generally seen a slower trend of core inflation over the last couple of months. And that's allowed the market to embrace this idea that the Fed hiking cycle is well and truly over and that the next move is going to be a cut. And really, the discussion is not necessarily as much around, you know, if it's more about when uh, the Fed will be cutting. And so from with that as your backdrop. Um, you know, the CPI numbers and just generally the data that we've gotten is the potential to be potentially narrative changing. When you think about the scale of the upside surprises in data for January that we've received over the last couple of weeks, it starts with the nonfarm payroll report, which came in stronger than expected, a big advance in jobs and also a big outside gain in average hourly earnings, although weather probably played a bit of a role uh, in the sort of mechanics of that number. So you sort of pull forward some stronger survey data as well. And then you get the core CPI out earlier this week with a 0.4% advance uh, on the uh, on the month on month core CPI. And so a lot of the direction of travel in the market in terms of repricing the Fed and really global inflation has been clearly towards the downside. And a lot of the moves in rate markets, especially into the end of last year, uh, had been moving lower. So as you know, listeners of this podcast will know, our views on the dollar has actually been tactically bullish for the last couple of months, really since the turn of the year, with our idea, be, with our, our thinking really being that the move in December towards rate cuts had moved too far too fast and that there was room for that to scale back. Some of that was te technical in nature, uh, but the data have really continued to surprise on the top side. And so from a Fed perspective, um, this is the kind, these are the kinds of prints that force you to reevaluate. And that's something that we have done uh, here on our team. Our economists have actually changed their call for the Federal Reserve, expecting the start of rate cuts to maybe be a similar timing in June rather than May as the base case. So one meeting pushed back, not a big deal. But it does, the, the fact that the growth data have been stronger, maybe reduce the risk of the Fed moving in more aggressive clips. One of the big sort of drivers for our view of dollar weakness in the back half of the year related to this idea that when the Fed starts moving, they may move a bit more aggressively. But we're now thinking that maybe the, the more likely outcome is that the Fed moves in smaller increments over that time. And so from a relative rate perspective, that's quite significant. So, you know, our near-term bias has been, 
We shouldn't be fading dollar strength really until the Fed cycle is really strongly underway. Um, you know, in our year ahead writings back in November and through this podcast, we've been saying that feels more like a 2Q late two second quarter story. That just feels like it's been pushed back. And so still feel pretty confident here in, in, in tactically positioning for continued dollar strength. So still bullish the dollar then. It definitely hurt kind of EMFX, just that stronger dollar. But one real standout, I guess, is dollar yen, which I noticed is back above that 150 level, which previously markets have kind of seen as a risk of FX intervention. Brian, are we back in that territory where we're kind of on FX intervention watch? Yeah, I think we are. And one of the big different, you know, if you look back at the period in autumn of 2023, the last time we were above um, 150 in dollar yen. To be fair, authorities did not intervene in that autumn 2023 period. But there were still some big differences in the inflation and, and relative growth backdrop in that period versus now. Now we're back above 150. One of the biggest ones comes from relative interest rates. And, you know, interest rates have been rising over the last you know, couple of weeks as the market has repriced out from some very dovish Fed expectations that were embedded at the end of the year. That's certainly part of yen weakness. But one thing that's interesting is if you look back at last time we were above 150 in dollar yen, if you look at like five year interest rate differentials, for example, between the U.S. and Japan, those have narrowed by about 50 basis points over that same time. So now relative to autumn of last year, we have a 50 basis point decline in these relative rate spreads, which we know from historical correlations, especially recently, have been very critical into dollar yen uh, sort of dollar yen price action, understanding interest rate differentials has been a big driver uh, and sort of a big input into uh, dollar yen price action. And so from a fundamental perspective, I think it's clear that this move above 150 may be getting a little bit more scrutiny from officials because the Fed, unlike in the autumn of last year, is not actively considering rate hikes. The Fed's, you know, the Fed's discussions have really changed. Um, it doesn't, you know, we and interest rates have interest rates have moved to reflect that. We also have the Bank of Japan, you know, likely considering rate hikes of their own starting either next month or perhaps the month after. So from a relative rate perspective, those have moved in favor of the yen, but the yen has still weakened nonetheless. You know, there are some potential drivers for that. There are some discussion over whether or not a change in tax treatment of certain offshore investment programs has led to significant outflows in the month of January. Uh, as an example, there was a change in those uh, at the turn of the calendar year, for example. Uh, and there's also the reality that even if relative interest rates have moved against the dollar in favor of yen on sort of a nominal basis, there's still the fact that carry is, is still quite wide um, and it's still quite punitive to hold uh, a long position in yen, for example. So I think we should certainly be on intervention watch. I think the market's probably looking more at the 152 level simply because that was the high point in dollar yen, the sort of multi-decade high point in dollar yen, um, rather than 150 specifically. But I think we have to be thinking always about do authorities believe the move is out of line with fundamentals, yes or no? And do they believe that it's happening in an unsustainable or a speculative fueled way? And I think that's what authorities are trying to tell us, that they're somewhere in the middle. You know, the uh, Ministry of Finance representative, Conda, sort of made that point himself as well, right? Talking about how some of this move can be attributed to fundamentals, but they are aware that some of it is speculative. And so I think we certainly have to be on intervention watch um, at these levels because the, you know, unlike in the autumn of last year, the, the market message, the messaging around the Fed and the interest rate spreads are not as obviously suggesting that dollar yen should be at these elevated levels. It's not just US CPI, which is causing havoc in markets this week. It was also UK CPI's turn. And we was part of a kind of bumper UK data week this week. 
Paul, I have to turn to you. You know, what did you make of this UK CPI print and why was it such a market mover? Yeah, as you say, it was definitely a bumper week of UK data. It seemed at times that uh, the UK was publishing all their data uh, for the year all in one one week. But it uh, UK CPI is the, the, the highlight. Um, I, I think it was the highlight because central bank guidance has quite often seemed to be a function of near term inflation data. So any uh, misses relative to what the Bank of England was expecting or for the market uh, is important for, for currency markets. Uh, in terms of the, the data, there wasn't actually that big a miss on the headline numbers. Certainly when you look at the move in sterling, this, the move in sterling would maybe hint at a bigger surprise. Maybe a few people were positioned long sterling and maybe looking for uh, UK rates to stay higher for, for longer. And maybe this number just sort of chipped away at that uh, a little bit. But in terms of the detail, the core inflation was just one-tenth of 1% 1 lower than expected. Um, it maintained it sort of above 5% level. You know, remember, this is against a target of 2%. So there's still a lot of work for the Bank of England to do, and they have to be confident that they've done enough tightening to get inflation down. Um, service sector is maybe where you've got the bigger uh, surprise. So you had a three tenths of 1% undershoot relative to expectations. But here, I would concentrate on the level, the level of uh, inflation in the service sector, because this is the thing that's going to inform about whether the price shock that we had sort of 18 months ago, a year ago, uh, is causing a sort of persistence in, in inflation. And, and there, the, the data stayed relatively uh, stable. Um, it was weaker than expected, but still above 6%. Uh, and so while goods inflation is falling, uh, service sector inflation still re remains relatively robust. And I, I think that was the, the key takeaway. So I'm not sure Sterling's reaction on the data is uh, fully justified. Mm, it did seem like quite an outsized move. Um, and I guess you have to weigh it up with the other big data releases. We obviously got stronger than expected labor market report and then disappointing GDP. How do you read these on balance? Yeah, I, I think you have to see them in sort of aggregate, the totality, as some central banks would uh, talk about in terms of inflation. You sort of said that uh, GDP was uh, weaker than expected, and it was. I mean, it's, uh, the UK fell into technical recession at the uh, end of last year. That's never a really good look. That's where the headline, newspaper headlines and social media headlines are going to concentrate. The service sector was particularly weak. That's a, a key driver of the UK economy. So it's a little bit of a, a worry when we think about the maybe sterling being relatively supported by uh, relative yields and the Bank of England keeps rates higher uh, for longer. Um, but survey data in the UK have been a little bit stronger uh, of late, and it probably suggests that with that weakness might not have persisted uh, into the early months of 2024. So we'll just watch that, that data. Uh, the labour market, data was surprisingly resilient. We had upward revisions to employment. Unemployment was low and expected. Wage growth uh, holding up. And as I say, that's going to be the main driver of inflation, service sector inflation over coming months. And I, I think the key takeaway is that the, the Bank of England will need more evidence uh, before they can call time on their, their tightening cycle, unlike some other central banks uh, close to the home, ECB, SMB. But um, I've got a feeling you're going to talk to me about that in a, uh, a moment or two. 
you are not going to escape those questions, Paul. I guess bringing all that thing around the UK data together, what does this mean for your view on sterling? Has it kind of changed your constructive outlook? Um, I think it makes us slightly less confident because of those GDP numbers uh, and some of the weakness uh, in inflation. But bigger picture, I, I don't think it, it changes it um, materially. Um, just like the Bank of England, who needs more evidence that uh, inflation is coming down, wage growth is coming down. Um, I want to see more evidence that the Bank of England is moving to a point where they can start thinking about cutting rates. At the moment, they seem to be thinking about when it could be a right time to think about cutting interest rates. So there's still one way away from that. Uh, the central banks also talked about, again, the data and aggregate, but wanting more evidence over coming months. This is one month's set of data. As I say, I think some of the data might strengthen a little bit. I'm not convinced that inflation is coming down uh, quickly. Uh, and if we write, write, we think we're going to get a divergence between monetary policy in the, for the Bank of England and some other central banks, most obviously the ECB, uh, the SMB. So I think uh, euro sterling um, will give back some of these gains that we've seen this week uh, and head low into the coming months. But like I say, still sticking with the view, uh, but just maybe maybe a little bit less confident uh, than when we were, say, a week or two ago. You know, kind of drawing that in, we have seen a quieter data in developed Europe, uh, but there has been a, a few data releases. What do you think the market may be missing? You know, what is focused on the US and the Bank of England? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. I, I think it's that Swiss CPI number that came in weaker than expected from a low base at a time when the central bank is already indicating that they think they've done tightening and they've stopped running down their FX reserves. So we think it just plays very much to the view that the Swiss bank could be one of the weakest currencies from this point by the end of the year. But I, I think what's really important is the read across to other European countries. So Switzerland's very similar to, say, the euro area in terms of inflation. If we're getting these soft inflation numbers in Switzerland, then it makes me think, what are we going to get from the euro area data when we get that in a couple of weeks' time? And could that be weaker than expected? Uh, and then, of course, we've got the ECB that will be adjusting their economic forecast come March. Um, and we have a baseline that the ECB cut, starts cutting in June, but what, what are the risks around that? Is it that they go later than that or earlier? And I think they, that they potentially can go earlier. I think they could signal it in March and deliver in, in April. Uh, and when I look at sort of broader CPI numbers around Europe, I was really struck by some of the softer numbers we're getting in Eastern Europe. I, I think that that's potentially uh, important. Uh, and so if one or two countries were delivering weaker inflation, then you could probably... Um, play that down, but it, it seems a bit more widespread. And I think you're seeing clean water between what's happening in Europe and what's happening in North America, as Brian quite rightly uh, articulated. So euro dollar down to, to 105, potentially, or, or certainly it's going to take time for it to, to recover if we're right and inflation pressures are weak and the ECB cuts rates ahead of the, the Fed. But just on those um, data points in, in your region, Ema, just I saw that euro... Uh, check it sort of hit your long term sort of area you were looking for it to uh, get to. But in terms of those CPI numbers and your views, anything changed uh, this week? Yeah, as you said, you know, thankfully, Eurocheck kind of hit our target. Um, but we have seen kind of 
all three of the CE3 central banks release inflation data over the last two weeks, and all three have come in lower than expected. So it's that really that case of disinflation, you know, is really in progress. I think what sticks out to my mind is the Czech Republic, uh, where inflation really dropped sharply from 6.9% all the way down to 2.3%. That is just 0.3 percentage points away from the central bank's target. And yet they still have their interest rate at 6.25%. So still at a starkly very elevated level. They've been quite slow. And I would say, you know, they're quite kind of akin to, I guess, like the euros and they're very cautious when it comes to kind of easing monetary policy, given kind of inflation risks of the past. Um, but now, you know, you saw markets dramatically repriced, looking to price in 75 basis points, cuts in, in coming meetings, and you saw a real sell-off in the currency. Um, it does really feel like, you know, disinflation is coming through. For us, you know, the Czech Corona has um, depreciated a long way. So we think, you know, there's only so much further it can go. But I think probably the counter side to that is in Poland, where yes, you have disinflation, you know, in trend, but it's more the political angle, which kind of puts a question mark over, you know, when the central bank can resume its easing cycle and how fast they can go. Uh, so even though inflation came in lower, you know, we don't think that they'll be able to ease again until the end of this year. And that's because there's just complete uncertainty over, you know, things like um, suspended VAT rates on food goods um, and also energy price caps. So for us, you know, in this environment where EM central banks are really kind of speeding up their rate cutting cycle, PLN looks to be a, an outperformer in the region, uh, given they will offer investors higher carry relative to um, other investment alternatives. But guys, that is about all from me this week. Uh, Brian and Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if you did like the podcast, please do click like and remember to subscribe so you can get the latest edition first. Thanks again. <laughs>